0: And tomorrow, Monday, or any weekday, you face life's challenges, your job, the traffic, the children, whatever it is, what is the relevance of Jesus? And what has he got to do with it? Or if you face life's choices whether to move, to do something or not to do something, what role does Jesus play and what difference does he make? Who is he for you? A nice man, a doobler from the past, to be admired, but the past, or a revolutionary against the oppressive establishment, an inspiring example for all times, Or is he an elusive elusive appearance so difficult to get close to who inhabits a realm somewhere beyond the realities of Mondays? And what does he say to you at home, at school, or at the office? And all this language in our text about light and justice and judgment and last days what do you do with it tomorrow is this to speak for Sunday but not for Thursday but then you may ask well do I have to have such a clear view on him or can we leave it sort of harmlessly in the middle or for later do we have to know exactly what he says about our daily life Or can we talk the Jesus talk on Sunday and walk our own walk on Wednesday? And if and when we struggle in daily life with the questions about who he is, not intellectually but really in our life, and what the relevance of his message is, then the Lord knows these questions because the Jews were asking him these questions till the very end even after years of preaching by the Lord himself still asking at the very end of his life because that is where we are in our text we are in the week before the Lord's death the Passion Week maybe it's already Wednesday and in the 12 chapters Three years of words and wonders that had preceded. Lazarus had been raised a few days earlier, chapter 11, showing that the Lord was the master of death, and the triumphal entry had already happened one or two days before in chapter 12, showing that the Lord was their long-expected Messiah King. And the people had gone out to wave at him with their palm branches, But there was some reservation, there was something odd, something that didn't quite fit the pattern of their expectations, as maybe so often happens in our life. Because he entered as the meek king, riding on a donkey. And he announced that he would die. We can read it in chapter 12, verse 23, where it says, And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And then in 32, and when I am lifted up from the earth, he was announcing his death and the Jews understood that. But for them, this was not the Messiah they had expected. And that was not the leader for whom they had any use in their daily life. Because the actuality of the Roman occupation, their reality, required something different so they ask him in chapter 12 verse 34 we have heard from the Lord that the Christ remains forever and how can you say that the son of man must be lifted up who is this son of man because they knew his self designation as the son of man so the question really was are you really the messiah whom we should follow And the Lord does answer their question, who are you? He answers it first in chapter 12 the verses 35 to 36. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. And the one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light." And then there is the more elaborate version of this answer in the verses 44 to 50, which are the verses of our text. And thereafter, the Lord speaks in public no more. You can read it in 36 verse B, when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. And then in 13 verse 1, Jesus Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world after this statement in our text is only left the private teaching to the disciples in preparation for what was to come the chapters 13 to 16 and then there is the Lord's prayer for himself and his disciples and for us in chapter 17 and then there is the betrayal Judas the Sanhedrin Pilate, the scourging the cross the dereliction the death and also the resurrection in the chapters 18 to 21. So then, in his last public speaking, the Lord Jesus tells the Jews and us yet again who he is and what his message is. And I would like to summarize the word of God for you this evening as follows. Hear the divine envoy's public appeal to choose the light of life hear the Divine Envoy's final public appeal to choose the light of life. And we know two things. Who is this Envoy? The promised Messiah, the promised prophet like Moses, the Son of God. And what is this Envoy's message? You must choose. Choose the light of life. as we are getting on with our daily lives. We need to hear the Lord Jesus' final public appeal to choose the light of life. And in the first place, we will hear who he, Jesus, is. Our text sits where the book of signs, the first 12 chapters, with all the Lord's public speaking and his miracles. And they are there not as entertainment, but as authorization. Where that book transitions into what is called the Book of Passion or the Book of Glory, the chapters 13 to 21, which, as we said, contains the private teaching to the disciples in preparation, and then the suffering, the narrative of the suffering and the resurrection. And our text is called a number of things, an epilogue a concluding statement after the Book of Science, or a soliloquy, sort of a statement of existence. It's like, you know, Hamlet, to be or not to be. It's called a challenge. It's called a judgment. It's called a bridge from one book to the other. But what it is is a final appeal. Some have said... This is a composition of John cobbled together from various sayings but we'll see that that cannot be true. And others said, well, this is some earlier speech but it's put here for effect. Well, it's true, if you read the Gospel of John, that many of the themes are addressed earlier. But that, of course, was the reality of life because the Lord Jesus was an ambulant teacher. People everywhere needed to be told. And then these people everywhere were reluctant to accept, so it needed to be repeated many times. Not being heard and not being heeded and not being followed was what the Lord experienced. And then in chapter 12, the story of his life has come to full circle in John's gospel. Jesus came from God, it says in chapter 1, verse 1, And as we read in chapter 13, verse 1, he is about to go back to God. And the message had been consistent, beginning at the end and in between. The Father sent me. He and I are one. I am the light of life. And when John, in our chapter, then looks back over the Lord Jesus' ministry... As he has reported, had reported it in the book of signs, the 12 previous chapters, he concludes somberly in verse 37, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe him. And then he explains that this, what the prophets had foresaid in verse 38, And he quotes the prophet Isaiah, Lord who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. The people did not understand. Or if they did, they did not choose to follow him in their life. And that is still the reality today. You will experience it in your weekdays. And then there is here in our text this last appeal. The Lord cries out, Verse 44, he cried out and said, John presents it here as a real speech, not some summarizing composition. And the verb used in Greek here, ekraxen, may originally be sort of onomatopoeic. It's copying the sound. It's like you hear the sound itself, speaking with a loud voice. And it is like a prophetic proclamation. And the theme of the prophet, you will see, comes back in the verses 49 and 50. Calvin called it a crying expressive of vehemence, a speaking with passion, with urgency, with force, because it is the final appeal. A last reaching out, a last call, a final blast on the horn, a closing appeal to his people, to his flock, which so far had refused to listen. And all these people who sat and stood there all these years, hearing his words and seeing his signs, and they were still asking, Who are you? What is your relevance for our daily life? Why should we follow you? And then the Lord continues, And the first thing he says is, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Now the verb to send appears, I think, about 24 times in John. With always Christ as the object, and God always referred to as the Father as the subject, the sender. For example, in chapter 5, verse 24, he says, "Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life, and shall not and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from life, from death into life." You see, as you could always pick, also pick up from the Deuteronomy, under Jewish law, when the agent spoke, it was the sender speaking. And when he was acting, for example, in forgiving sins or healing on the Sabbath, it was the sender acting. And many times Jesus had referred to the one who sent me, and thus claiming his divine authority. And always the Jews had rejected the claim. And so it is often still today, Jesus? God? And then even when they recognized that this was something from God, they still could not see the overriding importance of acknowledging Him. Forces our text in verse 43. They loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. It was safer to be in with the politically correct crowd and the ruling classes. And so it is today. Jesus, Lord of our life. You see, to accept him in their daily lives was too difficult, too bothersome, too complicated, too far away from the routine that they were comfortable with, too far from what they wanted. And it is in the face of this disobedience that the Lord issues his final appeal. And he starts by emphasizing that he is not seeking his own glory although they should have recognized it as divine glory, but that he is the agent of the sender. And so he's telling them rejecting him is rejecting God, the very one they were claiming to honor and protect against blasphemy. But then the Lord goes on and he says in verse 45, And he who sees me sees him who sent me. Because the Lord Jesus is not just a legal representative or an agent authorized to act on behalf of God. The one who sent him is indeed his father. There is a functional difference, father, son, sender, sent. But in philosopher's speak, there is an ontological equivalence, because Jesus also is God. They had heard it from him before. In chapter 10, the verses 30 and 38, I and my father are one and believe, and believe that the father is in me and I in him. And the Lord here says it again. And he takes it one step further than in verse 44. He says, looking at me is looking at the one who sent me. The word used here for looking is to observe something with continuity and attention often with the implication that what is observed is something unusual. It, it's something like staring or peering or intensely, intently looking. And if used in an Aramaic or in a Hebrew context, it also means often is it a sort of an equivalent to get knowledge of. Now, for the monotheistic Jews for whom God lives in an unapproachable light, the idea that one could see God walking around on earth was shocking. And even today for us, it may at times seem unreal, not part of our everyday life and struggle. More for a faraway story in a faraway time in a faraway land. But that is what Jesus says, if you look at Jesus, you look at God And if you turn to him, you turn to the Almighty. And if you turn your back on him, you turn your back on the Almighty. And then in the verses 49 to 50, he reinforces that. When he says, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Now this bit of text may strike us initially as a bit odd or maybe a bit redundant. But it contains two messages, which for the Jews would have been very clear. You see, for the Jews, Moses was their great man. They were always quoting him and his law. And this very Moses had prophesied that there would be another great prophet. We read it in Deuteronomy 18. I will raise up for them, God said, a prophet like you from among their brethren. And I will put my words in his mouth and he will speak to them all that I command him. So the first message is that Jesus now clearly applies this prophecy to himself. He is the one who is speaking what God told him to speak. And John had already reported the Lord saying earlier, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And of course, per consequence, also the warning Moses uttered now applies to them and to us if they do not listen. The warning from Deuteronomy 18, verse 19, And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. And that is what the Lord Jesus also had already told them earlier. In John, chapter 5, verse 45, Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, For he wrote about me. But then in these verses, especially in the second half, the first half of verse 50, there is a second message for them and for us. Namely, that history had progressed beyond Moses. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth, John tells us in chapter 1, came by Jesus Christ. The words Jesus speaks on behalf of God are words not of law, but of eternal life. And after one of the many occasions that Israel had sinned, Moses raised a snake. And those who looked at it were healed in this life. But the Son of Man will be lifted up. It is a reference to the cross in this chapter and also in John 3. He will bring eternal life. And that is also what it says in chapter 6, verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So Jesus in this appeal tells them, and he tells us, I have come to fulfill the law. Now it is my word that brings salvation and eternal life. So who is he? Jesus is God's envoy, sent by God to do his will and speak his word. He is also the great prophet Moses and the Old Testament had been expecting. And Jesus is indeed God himself. If you look at him, you look at God. Does it feel unreal? Well, of course it is a stunning reality and it is difficult to grasp, God on earth for our sin. But the Lord leaves no doubt about it. And therefore, we better also take his message, the message that this envoy was speaking for God, very seriously. And that leads us to our second point. Hear the divine envoy's final public appeal to choose the light of life. We will in the second place hear what this message from Jesus is in the verses 46 to 48. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word, has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day." We said earlier that in chapter 12, the story of his life had come full circle in John's Gospel, and that from beginning to end, then in between, the message had been consistent. And about the Lord's coming into the world, John had said, As we read in chapter 1, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Literally, the word is to grasp, which in English, quite appropriately, I think, has a double meaning of understanding, getting it, or as overwhelming. And the darkness neither overwhelmed nor understood the Lord's message. And then John continues, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and this man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. But that light was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. And later on, when he, continue, when he was reporting about the Lord's work, John says in chapter 8, And then Jesus spoke again to them, saying, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And then we hear it again in the verses 35 and 36. That is the final appeal, to choose the light of life. Verse 45 We read, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. The first thing to note, I think, is the verb, I have come. It's an indicative perfect active, which means it implies an action that is completed in the past, but it affirms also the continuing existing result. It's not that the Lord came and went as a passing ship in the night and that was it. It's not like there is no trace to be found anymore, like you won't find footsteps on the beach after the tide. No, the effects are still with us, and they are here to stay. And then it says, as a light into the world. What does that mean? Well, as so often in John, there are many aspects, and there is much ambiguity which he, deliberately it appears, uses to announce the greatness and the mystery and the incomprehensiveness of what happened. And regularly John notices the disciples did not understand this or that, and I think we at times also are still struggling. Light is an attribute of God. We know that from Psalm 104, light is his garment. We know it from Habakkuk 3, his brightness was like the light. Isaiah 60, we read about it in the Revelations. You can read it again, the new Jerusalem. There the God or the Lamb interchangeably are its light. And by announcing himself like this as the light, Jesus once more emphasizes who he is. And if we reflect upon that word light, and light illuminate. It brings knowledge and understanding. And so there is an element of factual knowledge. It's like you can have an enlightening lecture on growing tomatoes. And in John, the Lord Jesus is called the Word of God. He brings, he was sent by the Father, the good news of God's love. And light in this sense may mean revelation. We see this use in the, word, in the word "a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and glory of your people, Israel. Luke chapter two, or in Paul, for it, is the God who, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. To Corinthians. So Jesus, as the light, brings the revelation, the understanding of the love of God. But light is also an ethical concept. Once the light shows you the right way, you also have to walk in that way. Like people can speak about an enlightened ruler or an enlightened approach. It's not necessarily that an enlightened ruler knows an awful lot of facts, but he does the right thing. We have to act according to what we understand is God's way. We read it here in chapter 12, verse 36, While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And also the Apostle Paul tells us, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, Ephesians 5. So the second aspect is that Jesus calls us to walk in God's ways. Every Sunday, every weekday, to be children of the light. But then there is also a third aspect, because light, in addition, exposes what was hidden before, like sin leading to judgment. Like light always comes with the shadow. And we, should, we see this use in the expression, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will bring both, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. And indeed you will see that judgment is later referred to in our text. So when the Lord Jesus presents himself as the light, also warns that his coming and his appeal will result in the exposure of sin if they do not come to the light. So there are many aspects, but in John light is often the opposite of darkness, darkness because of sin. Now. It's dark now, but if during the day you look out of the window, there may not appear to be a lot of darkness. Maybe you are in a nice place with nice weather and even nice people. And that is the superficiality of life in which Jesus then also becomes a bit remote. A name for Sunday and the ritual of church going. But then you do not have to be a dour doomsayer to see it differently. You only have to look a bit further than your nose is long and you switch on the telly and you read the paper and you listen to people in the police stations and in the hospitals, or you can look in a council flat or peek behind the polished doors of wealthy mansions and you know that there is real darkness. Evil, suffering, cruelty and sadness, it's all there. And it is the result of sin, sometimes personal, often because of the brokenness of creation. And it is darkness, John says, came the light and the darkness did not grasp it it neither comprehended it nor overwhelmed it and both aspects we see in our text the people that Jesus is addressing do not grasp it they do not understand or comprehend and that is why Jesus cried out in a loud voice as the great prophet calling them to the light but we also see that the darkness did not prevail or overwhelm the light Because the Lord Jesus is about to accomplish His mission. His mission to bring light into a dark world. To bring forgiveness of sin. And it is this last facet, this last aspect which He emphasizes in the next verse. When He talks about judgment that will come, it is not what He came to bring, but it comes with it, like with light comes the shadow. He came to save, to save the world. And the invitation, his crying out was addressed to all. To the cosmos, to the whole world. This whole episode follows the episode where the Greek are asking to meet him. And so light is also life. Like the sun brings, the sun brings life and without it nothing would survive. And light is love the love of God for his people, for those that are lost in sin and sadness. And the light is forgiveness of sin, which is the basis that the Lord Jesus would create for us being reconciled to God. It offers hope and love, and it shows us the way through life. Your word, as we sung, is a lamp for my feet. But then we do not need only to see the way with the help of that light. We also need to take that road. Because in order to be forgiven and to experience God's love, we need to be children of the light. You see, at the party or a reception, you may be offered a drink by the waiter going round with his tray. And if you don't like it or you had enough, you smile and you say no, thank you. And the waiter usually smiles back, if you don't want it, that's fine, equally good friends. But being offered the gospel by Jesus is not without consequence or non-committal. First we need it because we are in darkness, personally sinful and living in a world distorted by sin. And secondly, it is brought to us by God's divine envoy, the Lord Jesus. And therefore, verse 49 contains a stark warning. Because the message is a two-edged sword. As As unavoidably as a coin has two sides, so light exposes what was hidden in the dark before. And with light comes the shadow, and the brighter the light, the deeper the shadow. Here it is the sword and the shadow of judgment on the last day. You see, if we go back to the party, if you don't like what is offered, you cannot whack the tray out of the waiter's hand, although that is what many do with the gospel, reacting violently and aggressively. And you cannot ignore the waiter, simply act as if he wasn't there, although that is what many do with the gospel simply carry on with their life as if it didn't exist. What with the waiter you can do is politely say, very nice, I'm sure others will like it, but not for me. Or very nice, not for now, later. But you cannot even do that with the gospel. And that is the Lord's warning in verse 48. Because if you hear the gospel... And all of us have heard it by reading the Bible and by being here. And set it aside and do not accept it. You have already what condemns you. Little verse 48 says, The one who rejects my words, he has what will judge him. The word I spoke, that will judge him. The Lord uses the expressions hearing and not guarding or believing or rejecting To believe that something or someone cannot be trusted or relied on, and hence, to reject Or to refuse to recognize the validity of something, or not accepting. And it is not just active rejection, but also passive sitting on the fence, or postponing a decision. Maybe later, when I'm less busy, when I'm older, when I have more time, less other priorities. I'm not yet committing myself too many questions, too difficult, too many other things now. Because if that is the the activity we are engaged in, not yet accepting, not yet committing, like the Jews in Jerusalem, then, says our text, you have already what will condemn you because you heard the word and you have the Bible. There was, a little while ago, a cartoon in one of the papers about some politician who was caught out lying when testifying in front of one of these many committees inquiring into the behavior of politicians. And the cartoon showed a man walking with a hand grenade in his hand. First removing the safety pin of truth and throwing that away and then a moment later to his horror discovering that he had now deactivated grenade in his hand. Well, the newspaper story didn't go anywhere because what's one more lie of one more politician in front of one more committee? But the cartoon is a speaking one because if we do not hear the gospel, if we hear the gospel but not commit and sit on the fence, maybe going to the church but not really embracing Jesus as our savior, as the one who matters in our life, then we are sitting there with the live grenade in our hand. And maybe you are not yet twenty and you will live to a hundred. And then there are another the other eighty years before it goes off. But we never know. I may have an accident on the way back from church and then I have less of an hour to go. Now, is that not a harsh or unreasonable position to take? Is that one in this post-modern age where everything is put up for question and in doubt, is one not allowed some time? Is there no allowance for doubt and uncertainty? Well, to find the answer to that question, we need to think about what happened next. Next, after our text in John, because as we saw, this is the final appeal before the cross before the Lord's suffering and his dereliction and his death. And the evil of sin and the darkness of this world was so serious, and God's love for the world so great that God sent his only son to suffer in our place. And that all unfolds within a few days of this final appeal. And therefore, to this appeal there can be no non committal answer. We may be lacking in knowledge. But Christianity is not a perfect knowledge religion. And we may be unhappy with the lack of spirituality or the lack of liturgy or the lack of fellowship or the lack of whatever. But Christianity is not a perfect church religion. And we may be uncertain about our own courage and stamina or whatever. But Christianity is not a perfect me religion. The question to which the Lord's final appeal demands an answer is do we know that we are in darkness and do we trust him when he says that we need to choose him because he is the light. And that choice you must make proactively or you will make it by default. He is telling you come to me all you who are who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Trust the one who gave you this invitation and choose the light of life. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come before you to thank you for giving us this great gift of your Son, the light of life. And Father, we ask, will you always let this light shine before us, so that we may be encouraged and see the way, and that we may go through life with confidence that you have reached out to us and that we are your children and that we may walk in the light no matter what the daily challenges are and no matter how much darkness there may be in the world and Father we ask that you give us all what it is that we need nobody else may know it but you will know and you may it even know better than we do ourselves Father be with us Individually, but also as a congregation, so that as a congregation we may reflect your love and the joy that you give us, so that we may be a city on a hill and a lamp on a stand and that many may be attracted and want to join and to understand and to be part of the light that is the Lord Jesus. Father, we also ask that you be with this world, that you will give the authorities that are there integrity and wisdom and the recognition that they are not there to lord it over the people but to serve you and father we ask that you will bring relief to this world because we know that there is so much sadness so much cruelty and father we ask all these things not because we deserve them but because of the lord jesus amen